listening to the Sit Down Standout Show, the podcast where people with all abilities and challenges can stand out from the rest, even if they've got to sit down to do it. I'm Ben and Dykstra, the Rolling Dragon, and it's time for this show to take flight. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Sit Down Standout Show, the podcast that gives people with all abilities and challenges the chance to stand out from the rest, even if you have to sit down to do it. I am the ruling dragon, Ben and Dykstra, and this is going to be one heck of a way to start off our episode lineup for the month of September. This man has flown around the world as an airlines pilot for the better part of 20 years. But it's amazing how quickly life can change forever. With a sudden diagnosis of pulmonary fibrosis, this man has donated his time and he has donated his energy to funding a research cure for pulmonary fibrosis. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Brent Anderson. Brent, how are you? I'm good. Uh, sorry, it's it's Brett. B-R-E-T-T. My apologies. All right. No problem. So, Brett, I want to get started on your illustrious career as a flyer pilot for U.S. Airlines. Now, that was a two-decade-long career. You must have some incredible stories about that journey. Well, um, I've done it for 33, 34 years now, um, 28 of it with uh, the same airline here in the U.S. And um, yeah, it's it's been a, a great career. I've seen a lot of the world doing it. I uh, flew... Uh, planes up to as large as the triple seven holding about 350 people. And, um, uh, even just getting there to being a pilot was a bit of a challenge to me because as a, uh, teenager, I actually had a form of cancer called non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I was told at one time that it would be difficult for me to become a commercial pilot. Um, but, um, I just kept plugging along and, uh, Working hard at it, got all my pilot's licenses, and then uh, eventually got hired on after getting some experience with one of the major carriers in the U.S. Well, that is amazing. And a 30-plus year career as a pilot, you must have seen some amazing stuff, whether it was just from the view of the airplane in the sky or it must have been just traveling. But that had to have been absolutely amazing. It was. Um, probably one of the best places in the world to see the a sunset or a sunrise is from the cockpit of an airliner at 35,000 feet. You just get some incredible views as well as uh, uh, one of my favorite things was always flying at night over uh, over the U.S. or any large uh, landmass, just looking down when it's a clear day at all the uh, lights below and realizing how many people are asleep in their homes while you're up there working and, and seeing a thunderstorm from afar at night where you're seeing the whole cloud just light up. It's, it's something that really has to be seen to be believed at how uh, powerful it looks and it, from a distance. And it's always a good thing to keep a distance from those things in an airplane. Uh, also just a lot of the cultures that I've been able to explore and the sites around the world that I've been able to see, I've been really lucky seeing a lot of Europe um, as well as a lot of South America and Asia and uh, meeting people in all those places. I used to go to some of the places in Europe so often that I actually had friends that lived there, the locals there, and, and people that I knew at some of my favorite little cafes and restaurants that worked there. 
that definitely i feel like you could fill a whole separate episode with just experience from that but unfortunately you had to take time away and you had to let that career go unfortunately as a result of a diagnosis of pulmonary fibrosis which for those who are listening is a diagnosis of scarring of the lung tissue which can make things much more difficult to breathe which can cause lung cancer issues can you talk to me about that transition process from having to step away and to try to realize okay my life has to make some drastic changes yeah so um quite unexpectedly and i I'd, I'd always been pretty healthy after i'd had the cancer as a kid and uh, i'd been in remission and considered cured for many many years and um quite unexpectedly i started having what they thought was um pneumonia initially just some uh lung issues and i'd say september of 21 was when this all started and it was misdiagnosed or i should say uh, you know in all fairness to the doctors they really didn't know at the time they just thought it was a standard kind of run of the mill pneumonia but as it continued longer and longer i went to some um more expert doctors at the mayo clinic in rochester minnesota and was eventually diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis um at the time it still was not so bad that i needed to be on oxygen or anything yet um but uh it was definitely a concern and and for me i still remember i hadn't heard of it before i didn't realize that it was a terminal and irreversible disease so when the doctor told me i had pulmonary fibrosis i i said well is that bad and she said well you may need a lung transplant down the road and i thought well that's probably bad yeah that's not a good thing and when i got back uh to my hotel that i was staying at in minnesota at the time and looked it up i realized that yeah it it really wasn't a good diagnosis um if you look at the internet a lot of the things say the average lifespan with someone with it is 3 to 5 years after diagnosis um i i think that data is a little bit old sometimes it people last longer and some people might last much less it just depends on the progress of the disease and how quickly it progresses and you know a lot of individual circumstances everybody has their own journey with the disease and um unfortunately for uh, i'd say for pretty much everybody it, it ends up being terminal even with a lung transplant those that's not a panacea it's not going to cure everything uh the life expectancy after one of those is is still fairly limited but um i was doing pretty well through that summer of uh so i was diagnosed with the actual pulmonary fibrosis and April of 2022 and I did pretty well through that summer and fall but um as uh, winter approached and now we're into 2023 I uh, had some setbacks uh covid I had that and every time you get any kind of respiratory illness uh with pulmonary fibrosis it can take you down an additional notch anytime I've had well because I had two um what they call exacerbations, uh, the COVID and the respiratory flu. Um, they both took me down permanently another notch. I was able, never able to get back to the same uh, functionality and lung functions that I was at uh, previously. So now, um, unless I'm just at rest like I am right now talking to you, I have to wear oxygen full time. Um, and that's, uh, you know, just even doing chores around the house, just walking around the house. 
anything. I, I carry oxygen with me um, unless I'm just sitting on the couch or something. Um, in 2023, I was being uh, early 23. I was being evaluated for a lung transplant at the University of Virginia Medicine, and it was discovered during the evaluation process that I had a nodule in my left lung, which turned out to be lung cancer, which is, I don't think it's very common, but the pulmonary fibrosis can, and some of the drugs you take, because I was taking some immunosuppressant drugs because of that, can, can lead to lung cancer. I have never smoked, never touched tobacco products, but yet here I am with a lung disease and, and lung cancer on top of that. So uh, going back to what we were talking about, about flying, um, last year, because of the pulmonary fibrosis and my oxygen levels, the FAA took away my medical certificate. So I'm not able to fly anymore. I'm currently on a long-term medical leave with my airline. Okay. So that has to be a ginormous, not only a, an emotional change, but physical changes too. And I need to point out that we, I think people tend to take for granted too much these simple things, like you just talked about, having to be on oxygen just to do chores. I don't think a lot of people can imagine that sort of a challenge and that sort of a toll being taken on their body. So what I'd like to ask you is, you took a 33-year career, career as a pilot, and now you are at home and having to use oxygen a lot. How are you looking after your mental health dealing with all of this? Because that had to take a tremendous toll on you. Um, it did. And uh, it was difficult not doing my, uh, not being able to go to work um, weekly like I did all the time. I, I enjoyed my job. I enjoyed my career. And I liked having that um, feeling of purpose and being useful. And I think initially it was very hard for me to, um, to not be working because I felt like I wasn't contributing. Um, but I tend to be a pretty positive person and even, you know, like everybody, um, I will have my down days occasionally and I'll have these why me days, but, um, they don't last too long. I usually, you know, maybe 24 hours or something like that. And then I'll feel better the next day. Uh, I find getting out and exercising, just walking, uh, with my oxygen helps me out, but it, it is, it is difficult in that number one, it's kind of a pain carrying oxygen around everywhere that you go and dealing with those tubes and everything. And like any, um, uh, disability, if you will, it's, uh, you know, it limits me. Like I, I look at places and if there's stairs, I avoid them. I don't want to go upstairs. There's got to be an elevator because stairs are very hard for me. I, I run out of oxygen. I run out of breath really easily. Um, hills, anywhere that's hilly, I can't do. I used to hike a lot and now I don't hike in the mountains anymore. I, I look for flat places to walk to get my exercise. Um, but I find that the exercise definitely helps me mentally, um, getting out and doing stuff and not just sitting in my um, home and, and watching TV or something. I, I get out and I do that. And um, I tried a few um, uh, support groups online, uh, but sometimes my internet is a little spotty. So I find that found that frustrating to try and do that. And, and um, uh, a lot of the people who have the pulmonary fibrosis, um, they are, you know, everybody's got a different experience with it. I found it to be 
a little bit difficult to sometimes relate as well as probably people couldn't relate to me because we're all so different with that. And, and the, the, the disease affects people in such different ways. Sometimes it's, it's hard to, to relate to what someone else has, even though they've got the same disease. Absolutely. Everybody's journey is very different. I mean, I was looking up for research purposes, pulmonary fibrosis before we came on here and you may have it as a result of a genetic condition. You may have it as a result of living an unhealthy lifestyle. There's no guarantee any individual could get it or could not get it. Sometimes these things just unfortunately happen. But what I can appreciate is what you have done since your diagnosis is you get out and you exercise. You give yourself the feeling of, I might have this issue but I'm still alive. I'm still going to enjoy the time I have outside walking around. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people take into account is just simply walking around and exercising can be good for your mind because it makes you realize, you know what? I've still got this issue, but I'm still alive. I can still enjoy things. Absolutely. And I, I, I find myself enjoying some of the uh, simpler pleasures in life more than I used to. Like sometimes just driving in my car and listening to some really good music or something. I think like, oh, this is so great. I just love this song and I love being alive and being able to listen to this and enjoy it or or walking around and seeing things and, and just those small pleasures that I think when you're perfectly healthy and you don't have any health issues at all, you tend to not maybe realize what a what a, a a blessing, if you will, and, and how nice it is to enjoy things like that. Absolutely. And I want to talk about another thing that you have enjoyed in a little bit. But first, uh, you mentioned going to the mail clinic and getting information on pulmonary fibrosis through the internet. For those of us who may not know a little bit about pulmonary fibrosis, where would be a good place for our listeners to go get some research to learn about it themselves? Um, you can go to, uh, I think it's pulmonaryfibrosis.org, and that's the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation. I believe they are the largest um, nonprofit that uh, funds research and education for pulmonary fibrosis. They've got some excellent pages. If you just look up Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation on Google, you'll find them easily. They have a lot of excellent pa- pages for education uh, for both um, professionals like doctors and, and um, healthcare people, as well as just for patients and caregivers, you can find a ton of information on it there. JobQuest doesn't just help people who are facing employment barriers find a job. They help them keep a job. From basic life skills development to employment preparation, JobQuest provides coaching, on-the-job training, and follow-up support. If you or someone you know is experiencing employment barriers, including mental health challenges, an intellectual or physical disability, check out JobQuest, a division of Community Living Trent Highlands. Find out more at clth.ca today. Hey, my fellow standouts, it's the Rolling Dragon, Ben and Dykstra, here to ask you a couple of questions as we've reached the halfway point in our program. Has life thrown you a curveball? Have you lived with what many people would consider unfortunate circumstances or unique challenges? How have you turned them around into something positive for yourself and for others? Is it your time to stand out from the rest? Well then... 
register as a guest at www.rollingdragonmedia.com and get ready to stand out from the rest. And now for the rest of our story. Well, we will certainly have a link to that in our show notes below when this episode drops. But another thing that we will have in our show notes is your work to raise research to find a cure for pulmonary fibrosis because you have been driving around in your motorcycle and on big rides to raise money and raise awareness for pulmonary fibrosis. Tell me where your love of riding around in your motorcycle started. Oh, gosh, that starts way back to when I was a kid. Uh, I grew up in Southern California, and um, I had a dirt bike from an early age. I, you know, I, I always liked things like motorcycles and, and things with engines. And, um, you know, um, I started out riding dirt bikes at probably the age of 10, small dirt bikes. And we would go to my dad would take me and we'd go with some friends to the deserts of Southern California and go ride. And uh Grew up riding dirt bikes, and then that just transitioned to as I got older and was able to get a driver's license to street motorcycles. And um, I've ridden. I had I had a little time off there after I got married and had kids. There, I didn't have a motorcycle for about ten years. But uh, yeah, um, most of my life I've ridden and and just enjoyed riding. I find it's a excellent way. Uh, motorcycle travel uh, is a great way to see the world from ground level because. On a bike, on a motorcycle, you're more, you're out there actually experiencing things that you don't experience as much from the inside of a car. For instance, if it's raining, you get wet. If it's if you're going by a, uh, a cattle ranch, you smell the cattle. You know, you're not just um, isolated from everything like you are in a car with the windows up and the air conditioning on. You're you're actually experiencing it, and I find that people come up and talk to you a lot when you stop on a motorcycle. They want to know where you're going, where you've been. If they see that your license plate is from somewhere far away, they're always amazed that you rode that far. And, and um, yeah, it's a great way to kind of be in the culture of a place because people do want to talk to you on a bike a, a lot of times and they do want to share your experience. And so I've done a lot of motorcycle travel through the U.S. and Canada and now Europe and Central America as well. And speaking of having people come up and wanting to talk to you, can you share some of your favorite stories as you're driving across to raise awareness for for pulmonary fibrosis? Um, so, yeah, in uh, the fall of 22, I rode my motorcycle um, a, uh, from uh, my home in Virginia all the way down to Panama in Central America. And uh the original plan was to ride it to the tip of South America. So, but um, because my disease was progressing and I was getting a little bit weaker, I had to cut it short in Panama, but that was still 6,000 miles and about two months of riding. And I remember several times going through uh, different countries down there, for instance, Mexico, I was riding down there and I stopped in a small town. It was a hot day and uh you know, riding i wear all the protective gear so it was very hot uh, a jacket hot you know pants uh with uh, armor in them and things like that in case you were to crash and uh, and a helmet and so i stopped and pulled off my jacket and helmet to cool off and get a drink at a little uh convenience mart and all these local townspeople kind of came up and were looking at i always say the motorcycle was the star of the show not me uh, because down there they ride a lot of times much smaller motorcycles just to get around 
and I had this big um, Italian motorcycle called an Aprilia Touareg, and um, I named it Bella. Bella means beautiful in Italian, so I, I love the motorcycle. And they came up and wanted to look at it and were talking to me, and uh, none of them really spoke any English. I speak some Spanish, but it's pretty rudimentary. Um, so I kind of was able to communicate with a little bit of my Spanish as well as um, using gestures. And uh, they wanted a couple of them wanted to uh, sit on it, so I let them sit on it and take pictures on it and everything. And that was really neat. In fact, uh, one of the uh, guys I talked to, a uh, younger guy, probably about 17 or 18, he was really impressed with the bike and really excited by it. And uh, he's on Instagram, so I he friended me on or followed me on Instagram, and I still follow him on there and kind of see what he's doing. Another place down in uh, Guatemala. Uh, a gentleman, when I stopped, same thing, stopped to get something to drink on a hot day. And he came up and started talking to me. He spoke, actually spoke very good English. He had lived in Houston for several years and worked up there. And um, we just talked. Uh, I don't really remember what about, kind of more where I was going about his time in the U.S. And I just, I really enjoyed um, meeting people like that. Down in Costa Rica is another time. I met a gentleman who lived there, but he was actually from um, the Middle East originally, and he spoke fluent English as well as Spanish and French. And he mentioned my, my motorcycle, like I said, is called an Aprilia, and the model is called the Touareg, which is named after a nomadic um, tribe in northern northern Africa. And it turned out he was originally a member of this. No, he was a Touareg. He said, look, you've got a Touareg. I saw the name on it, and I'm a Touareg. He goes, I come from Touareg descendants, and uh, my family were part of the Touareg tribe. And I thought that was really interesting. So we, we took a picture of him and I next to the Touareg, next to the Touareg. That is an incredible story. And it just goes to show that just talking to people can sometimes be more fulfilling throughout the day than any job that you might be doing or any problem that you might be dealing with. Now, out of curiosity, because I only rode on a motorcycle once in my life with my grandfather when I was much younger, how uh, how does your condition affect you when you're riding on a motorcycle? Because on an airplane, I could understand through the high altitudes, you might not get enough oxygen in your body. But at, on a motorcycle, you have to wear a lot of protective gear in case you do crash. And there's a lot of high winds going right in your face as you're driving. That's true. Um, I do wear a, what's called a full face helmet. So it's got a visor and everything that protect my face. So I don't get the wind right in my face um, per se. But uh, the way it affects me, especially now, is that because I do have it, it can be, especially when you're riding off road, which I do a lot of, um, it's a bit more active riding off road. You're standing up instead of sitting, you're standing on the pegs to uh, weight yourself properly and to give yourself, um, you use your knees to kind of shock absorbers uh, for your body. And it just takes a lot more energy, which means that your muscles are using more oxygen, which means I need more oxygen. Since I already have to have oxygen when walking around, I had to figure out a way to wear oxygen while I was riding because I riding's my absolute passion. I wanted to keep riding. So what I figured out how to do is, um, 
I, I have a small, it's called an oxygen concentrator. It's a, it's a machine that basically takes room air and converts it to pure oxygen. And I found a way to put that in a backpack. A good friend of ours, who's a, a good seamstress, sewed a a mesh panel into the backpack because that machine has to breathe or it will overheat. And I wear that when I'm riding. Then I had to figure out a way to have the oxygen cannula go into the helmet and into my nose without normally the helmets are fairly tight to protect you. So if I would put it on, it would pull my oxygen cannula off. So what I found was I pulled out some of the padding in my helmet and was able to thread the cannula into the padding that came out and then I replaced the padding and I was able to do that so I can put, I just keep one of the cannulas permanently in the helmet. When I put the helmet on, then I can just put it in my nose so that that gives me my oxygen so that I can breathe when I'm doing more active riding like that when I'm riding. Um, the other thing that it affects is I have to be careful about altitude, elevation of the roads that I ride. So when I was even down through Central America, even though I didn't need oxygen at the time yet, I still had to avoid high elevations. And a lot of Mexico was, I mean, there were places that are seven, 8,000 feet elevation. And I just, I had to route around those. And I took more of the coastal routes in order to stay out of the mountains because I just couldn't go up to those kind of elevations and, and um, have safe oxygen levels. I was worried about having not enough oxygen and passing out. Very true. If you go to places like Denver, Colorado versus another state, the air might be thinner. So you might have to take more oxygen with you. Yes. Now, how I found you originally, I was searching for people to come on my show via Instagram. So I was watching some of your videos on Instagram. And the one I was watching was you were telling your story about how, unfortunately, you came very close to getting a lung transplant. But unfortunately, last minute, somehow the lungs got damaged so that they unfortunately were not usable. Can you explain just how crucial a lung transplant would be for your life going forward, even though uh, pulmonary fibrosis is still going to affect you long-term? Yeah. So um, after the diagnosis of lung cancer, so I had been, like I said, being evaluated for a lung transplant program in Virginia back at home. Um, when they found out I had lung cancer, that uh, made me ineligible for the program and, in fact, ineligible for a transplant at pretty much anywhere uh, in the U.S. and Canada and anywhere because they don't typically do organ transplants for people who also have cancer because the cancer could limit your lifespan because organs are so much in demand. There's way more people that need them than there are donors or one's donor organs becoming available. And that's not just for lungs, but for a lot of them across the board. Um, they don't want to waste a good set of, uh, you know, a good door donor organ on someone who might die in a year anyhow. So they tend to not accept you into these programs if you have cancer, unless you've been cancer free for five years. And that's what I was told. Well, if you get cancer free and can be cancer free for five years, then we can look at doing a lung transplant again for your pulmonary fibrosis. The problem for me was that I couldn't do the normal chemotherapy. They tried it and I had um, an adverse reaction to it because of my underlying pulmonary fibrosis. And it put me in the uh, ICU for 10 days and almost killed me. So they discontinued the chemotherapy and the radiation, which meant I had about 
they told me about a year to live before the cancer spread throughout my body. Um, I found a program in um, Chicago, which is where I'm at now. Uh, we normally live in uh, Virginia, but we relocated for this program temporarily. And it's a trial program for people with lung cancer to replace the lungs and take the lung cancer out as long as it's fully contained within your lungs. And they accepted me into the program after an evaluation here. Um, so for me, the lung transplant will prolong my life. Like I said, there's still, it's got a lot of its own complications and problems, but 50% of the people um, pass away before five years who have had a lung transplant. But I'm hoping to beat that and be one of the 50% who's still around and, uh, you know, maybe even be around five, 10 years uh, past the transplant. And what that will do is it will allow me to get rid of the lung, you know, to cure me of the lung cancer, um, as well as uh, give me lungs that don't have the pulmonary fibrosis in them. And hopefully it will not grow again. Um so we got when I as soon as I got accepted into that program, it was kind of weird because normally, yeah, it takes a few weeks to a few months to come up with donor lungs. And the same day they accepted me, about five or six hours later, they called me and said, "You're not going to believe this, but we've already got donor lungs." And I was stunned. Uh, and in fact, I think the medical team was stunned that it happened that fast. It was just um, luck of the draw, I guess. And um, we went down to the hospital. They prepped me for operation. I was scheduled to go into the operating room at five in the morning to have these uh, have this huge transplant operation, which is no small operation. It's an eight to twelve hour surgery to replace both your lungs. And um, about fifteen minutes before they came in, and said uh, there's been a problem. Some and they they I still don't know the exactly what happened. They said maybe they thought maybe it was an embolism, but when they were taking the donor lungs out of the person who had unfortunately passed away, um, something happened with the lungs to make them un not good for transplant anymore. Um, and they were, they were either damaged or there was a, a medical problem with them and they couldn't use them. So they canceled the operation. And that is very unfortunate, but we also have to remember that it's a very complicated process to get any type of transplant, whether it's an organ for lungs, whether it's your liver, whether it's a, a pancreas, any type of organ that requires transplant and donation, you have to wait for a, a proper match. You have to wait for, unfortunately, other people to pass away to be able to be getting a fresh organ. That's unfortunately how the process works, but I can definitely tell that it hasn't stopped you because. You have a website where you are raising money. Yeah, so my website is called lastbigrideoneword.org. Um, and uh, I, I actually, the fundraiser is over right now, but I had been uh, raising money for the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation, and I was successful in raising almost... I think it was almost about twenty-one thousand uh, dollars. You can see my whole story there, as well as my blog that I kept on my trip through Central America on the on the motorcycle. 
And uh, and you can definitely go to the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation and donate money if you want to. My my fundraiser was going, there was just a link on there at the time that was going directly to the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation and uh, donating to them. And uh, I'd still support that. If anybody wants to donate, go to p, uh, pulmonaryfibrosis.org and donate. Uh, there's, there's a button on there where you can donate. And um, yeah, that's... That's what my website was, as well as I'm on Instagram as Last Big Ride. Um, no, my condition is not preventing it. I could certainly do it. I, I felt like it was the donations had really slowed down since I stopped my ride to the point where they were just barely trickling in. So at the time I just called them up and I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this ride anymore. So let's go ahead and, you know, in the fundraiser here, I'd come, I, my original goal was 25,000. So I came pretty close to that. I was happy with 21,000. Um, and I definitely, I think, once I, you know, if, if this lung transplant happens, I'd like to do something again in the future. Uh, one of the big things I'd like to do is finish that ride and finish on, com complete the ride I wanted to do to the tip of South America and ride uh, the rest of South America and get down there. And I may restart it then. It may be either for the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation or another, um, I've thought about a uh, an organ organ transplant organization as well to promote organ transplants because we, you know, the world just needs more people to sign that little donor card when they get their driver's license and to agree to donate their organs should they pass away. There's just not enough right now out there, whether, like I said, whether it's lungs, hearts, kidneys, um, there's way more people waiting for those to live than there are donor organs available. So that I think it would be another worthy cause. Um, and I definitely would be willing to do that again and, and would look forward to doing that uh, once I get the transplant going. Absolutely. Now, throughout this entire experience, it's fairly it's been fairly recent since your pulmonary fibrosis diagnosis and your lung cancer diagnosis. But what do you think is the greatest lesson that you have taken away from both of those things? Because sure, you had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma at a younger age. But I feel like after an experience like that, maybe a couple of years down the line, people might just forget about it and move forward to say, oh, that was a bad part of my life. Now that's over. But for something like this, unfortunately, there's no getting around it. So I have to ask what the most important takeaway has been for you. Um, yeah, I think you're definitely right. When you have an experience like that when you're younger, is much different than having it when you're older. When you're younger, you don't probably recognize and realize your mortality as much as you do when you're older. For me, one of the biggest takeaways is just live, take every day as it comes, every day that we have on this earth, whether you're sick or whether you're not sick, whether you've got a disability or not a disability, is still a day you shouldn't take for granted because none of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, you know, you, anybody who's perfectly healthy could walk out and get hit by a bus crossing the road tomorrow. You don't know. You just don't. And we've all known people who passed away unexpectedly from an accident or something. And uh, I, I guess in one way, that's where I'm kind of lucky is that I know that I'll probably won't, that I won't live to an old age. I've got a limited amount of time. So I get to go out and I get to spend the time with the people I love and spending it doing meaningful things. Whereas a lot of people, 
don't think about that because they just they think they'll live to 90 years old or 80 years old and not have to worry about it for another 30 or 40 years but you just don't know so my biggest takeaway is don't live in the past don't you know don't spend time on wasted on regrets you can't change it don't worry too much about the future you can't really change that either live in the here and now and enjoy every day as you have it absolutely and that is why they call it the present because it is a gift yes. So, Brett, I just want to thank you so much for being open with me and sharing your incredible life story. I just wanted to reiterate for our listeners, where can people find you if they want to contact you or help reach out to you or anyone else in a similar situation? Um, Last Big Ride, www.lastbigride, one word, .org. Uh, There's a link on there that you can write me. Um, it's actually an old business website that we don't really maintain the business part of it anymore, but it was just easier to keep um, my, so if you see something, we're not selling anything on there. It's just, uh, I used that website for my, um, charity stuff. And you can also find me on Instagram at the last big ride. Uh, and you can message me on that as well and follow me. Well, Brett, we want to thank you for taking us on this incredible ride through your life story. I'm Rolling Dragon, Ben and Dykstra, and that's going to wrap us up for this week's edition of the Sit Down Standout Show. Until next time, keep calm and roll off.